Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, well, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. We're happy that you're here with us today. Uh, and we are ending our Growing Deeper series. And I would just toss out, if you've missed a week or two, go in, online and check out uh, the weeks that you've missed because there's been some really good stuff. People like Rod Klinger uh, have brought it. Uh, Rob Davis preached. It was really good. Sarah's dropped some uh, great sermons. I've said a couple of hopefully good things uh, in the midst of it. But I think that it's just been a really good time of looking at, you know, kind of saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that we need in the time that we're living right now to be able to follow you well? and digging into those subjects. So I hope that you've gotten a lot out of it. Uh, and to end the series, I'm going to talk about money because like Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure is going to, you know, where your treasure is, there's your heart going to be also. Uh, it's pretty, t- it's tied pretty deeply uh, to how we live our life. So what I want to do to start us off is to read a parable from Jesus. It's in Luke 12. If you have your Bible, open it up. This Bible's in the back. You can read it on the screen. Choose what you would like. Verse Chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I'm really glad that you guys don't throw out those questions to me. That, that sounds fun. And then Jesus goes, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, My friend, you have uh, enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's always bad in a story when the rich guy talks to himself. You know, like that's pretty universally true. Uh, so if he talks to himself, you know, don't, don't follow what he's doing. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but to not have a rich relationship with God. This man is desperately selfish, Right? He is so focused on himself, on getting what it is that he wants. He's completely unprepared. He he thinks that he's completely prepared. Uh, He spent his life focusing on one thing, and then at the very end, he realizes, oops, that was the wrong one thing that I spent my life focused on. The story is painful, I would imagine to the original people sitting around when Jesus told it, it didn't get a lot of claps. Uh, It probably got a lot of groans and heads down, walking away, not wanting to make eye contact. Like it's a painful story because it could very easily be a story about me. Maybe you. Uh, A story of obsessively trying to make it. Of being focused on how we could make it could be my story of focusing on one thing, just my financial security, and then realizing at the end that it was the wrong thing that I focused on this whole entire time. 
You know, I've never personally come close to being wealthy. Uh, I'm a pastor. That should give you one clue. Uh, my parents were pastors, so it runs in the family to not be wealthy, uh, so to speak. So that hasn't been my load to bear. But when I look at verse 19 and I see this self-congratulating fool, I still see myself. I see myself at times when my savings account hits that magic number that I wanted it to hit. And I lean back and I'm like, ah, I finally got there. Now I have all that I need. And I think I'm so smart for the decisions I've made. I think of myself at the times that I've paid off debt and I feel that weight lifted off my shoulders and I'm like, I finally have done it. Now I'm comfortable and I can spend my money on whatever I want to. I'm good, right? I, I look at his conversation to himself and I can see myself very, very easily. Have you ever been there? You know, it's kind of like, I was thinking about this and this is the picture, which tells you something about my brain, I guess, but that, pops in, that popped into my head of a squirrel storing all his nuts for the winter and he's leaning back, you know, in his little tree house like nook and looking at all of his food and he says, you know, like, ah, oh, I'm ready to go. Winter, bring it on. Bring on the cold. Except he has no idea how long the winter's going to be. He's planned for something that he has no control over. That's kind of what this guy's doing here, right? You know, and I think that's where we find ourselves financially today is that we're, we're trying to plan for something that we have zero financial or very, very minimal financial control over, right? You know, I, you look at the numbers and it's pretty, you know, I was at a, at, a, at a party yesterday and I had three conversations where money came up. Like, and I wasn't asking questions about money. Yeah, I just think it's on everybody's mind in a different way than it has been. Uh, in the past, we're, we're thinking about it a lot. According to the U.S. Census, uh, the number of households that are struggling to pay their, their basic expenses, not like extra stuff, but just like mortgage, utilities, that, that sort of thing, car loans, uh, in the Boston metro area has gone up in the past year from 21% to now 26%. Across the country, it's at 34% of Americans are struggling to pay their basic expenses. Like, we're not talking about anything fancy. We're just talking about paying what it is that you need in order to be considered making it. Depending on what article you read, uh, which stat that you come across, somewhere between 40 to 60% of Americans are stressed out about their finances on a daily basis. That's a huge percentage. Even the small one is a huge percentage. And the whole financial climate just feels so stirred up. It's kind of like you're in a boat and you're grabbing onto both sides and the water's just like turning you around all over and you're just like, dear Jesus, please let me reach the right side, not the wrong side. But you have no control over how you're getting there. Uh, I was thinking about like, okay, how, does, how has this shown up in my life uh, recently? So I have confession time, a, a decent amount of student loan debt, not the unbearable amounts that you hear sometimes, but the, the amount that is hefty enough that it affects my life. Uh, and so they've recently 
opened up this uh, thing called the public service loan forgiveness thing. And, and so pastors can actually get in on it because we work for nonprofits a little bit easier. So I was like, great, let me submit all my stuff. I submitted it. Got a letter back that said that they took it all in and I was happy. So I'm halfway to the loan forgiveness. Awesome. I'm getting there. Two weeks later, I got another letter from the same company saying that I now make too much money and so they're doubling my monthly payment. So it's like I'm halfway to being broke. Like, I mean, like, okay, great. It's gonna, like, you know, it was just kind of one of those, like, oh, shoot. Because, uh, you know, good news, bad news. And that's kind of like our financial reality, I think, right now. Is that it's like this back and forth thing and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling or what I'm supposed to do in the midst of it. Uh, we're tossed back and forth. And so in that spot, where do we place our hope and our trust? Well, I came across this advice from a banker. Uh, no shade being thrown at the banker, but this was their advice. Uh, they said, some Americans lack hope that they will ever have enough money to retire, with roughly 40% saying that their ability to be financially secure in retirement is going to take a miracle. Don't raise your hand if you fit in that category, but I think there's probably a few of us. So Mark Hamrick, the Washington bureau chief at Bankrate, said, I think people need to have a sense of hope. When the economy is working for them, there's a greater likelihood that people have hope that they can accomplish their personal financial objectives. Hope. It's mentioned three times in here. I agree that we need hope. But I disagree that hope comes from the financial system working for us. If that's where we're putting our hope, we're not getting anywhere good. We can't pin our hope on the rise or fall, the ups and downs of our financial realities around us. Jesus calls that very clearly foolishness in this story. Hope placed in our bank accounts or in our bigger barns is hope that's wrongly placed. So where do we find hope in the midst of recession, of inflation, of, of economic pain? Where do we find life in the midst of anxiety and stress that it creates around us? Uh, and more, most importantly, how do I not live like a fool? That's what I really want to find out from Jesus here. Uh, well, he says that it all starts with trust. And I want to say this many times this morning so that hopefully it sinks in that trust grows when control is released. Trust grows when control is released. And this, it, it's not only a financial truth, but it applies definitely to our finances as well as to the rest of our life. That when trust grows, we are releasing control over our life. So let me add a quick pastoral thought before I pray. You know, uh, a lot of people have made comments or saying that, you know, it feels like we're kind of in a rebuilding period. I don't know if that fits what you feel about life, but we're, we're rebuilding our relationships after two years of disconnectedness. We're, we're rebuilding maybe our, our spiritual practices after two plus years of it just being jostled around. You know, we're rebuilding financially, as we've just said. Uh, we might feel like we're rebuilding our families after being in like make it mode for multiple years. And now that we're not in make it mode, the, the cracks are showing and we're noticing some things that need to be worked on. 
And in the midst of a rebuilding period in your life, it matters deeply what you're starting from. What is your base that you're starting from? Where are you placing your hope and your trust in a time where you're building your life? If you're placing it on anything other than Jesus, you're starting from a faulty, loose cornerstone, and it's not going to get you where you hope that it gets you to. Where are you building off of? What practices are you putting into your life? What are you basing your hope and trust on uh, in your life? If we're intentional about placing it on Jesus, we're going to be in a really good spot, though. So let me pray for us that Jesus will speak to us. And I just want to pray for any of us who feel the realities of what I just talked about, uh, that you feel the rebuilding, and it's an unsteady space to be in. So let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come to fill this room. We're grateful for your presence that's here already. We're grateful that you want to meet with us. I ask that you will come and fill us with hope, that you'll fill us with trust, not trust based on bank accounts or right career decisions or uh, relational realities, but trust that is simply based on you. And God, I pray for any of us who are feeling the, the discomfort of rebuilding in whatever area of their life. God, I pray for you to come and to really speak to our hearts. Help us to focus ourselves on you as the cornerstone and to build off of your leadership, off of your guidance in our lives. Thank you for who you are, for your generosity and your graciousness to us. And we invite you to come and to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to highlight a couple of verses, then I want to talk a little bit more about this parable. So if you look at verse 15, it says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then verse 18, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you've stored enough away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you've worked for? The first thing that Jesus is telling us here is that we need a guard against greed. Uh, you know, life cannot be measured by our bank accounts, our investments, our houses, our stuff, the things that we've accumulated. You know, and to be honest, I, I feel like as Americans, we have to be aware of this because we have a cultural bias towards greed in many ways because we have a cultural bias towards wealth. Not just like financial security, but wealth. We want to be wealthy in our country. Uh, financial security is, is fine, more or less. You know, having enough to be able to feed your family and pay for your housing and, you know, all of those things. That's good. Wealth is a whole nother step beyond that. But that's what we long for. That's what's idolized. That's what's put up there as the thing to want to gain in our uh, society. And the difference between these two, I think, really needs to be acknowledged because sometimes we can look at it and, and get mixed up on which one it is that we're actually going for. And when 
we are so focused on accumulating more, Jesus tells us what happens, right? He says it really clearly. If you're only focused on accumulating more, you're going to miss out on having a good relationship with God. Let me say it a little bit, maybe I'll I'll tread lightly, but I'll say what he's saying. If your life is focused on accumulating wealth, you may end up wealthy, but you probably will not end up with a relationship with Jesus. That's what he's telling us here. What's our goal in life? I'll just leave that there and then continue on. In verse 19, when the man's talking to himself, he says, my friend, you have enough to come. You have enough for years to come. So this word for friends, which you probably never would have guessed from the translation, actually is the word psyche, which we often translate as soul, uh, but which could just as easily be translated as life. So my soul, my life, You have accumulated everything you need for years to come. That's what he's saying right here. And then in verse 20, God says that you will die. And the word that's used in that instance uh, would be closer to your life will be required. Your life is required. So if you see the wordplay that Jesus is doing here, it's really interesting. He's saying life. Life is what the man congratulated himself for, and he said that he was in control of. Life, in the very next verse, God, Jesus says that God tells him is what he does not have control of, and it's completely taken away from him. Life is what he's talking about here. Life taken away in an instant. The thing that the man thought that he controlled was actually out of his control. If control is your goal with your life, you're going to be upended, tossed back and forth, uh, you know, frustrated, anxious, greedy, angry, uh, unsure of what's going on around you as things go back and forth because you're not actually in control of it. God is. So here's the good news, though. Trust grows when control is released. So if you want your life to be in control, give up control of it to Jesus and allow him to be the one that is actually leading you. If you want to live life out of control, grab a hold, tug on tight, and refuse to let him have a role in what it is that's going on. Which way do you want to live your life? Here's the last thing from the parable. Trusting in God doesn't mean that we neglect our financial realities. It means that we bring him into the conversation and that we rely on his guidance and his goodness. One theologian says that the parable is not teaching that no provision should be made for the future. Its message is that our relationship with God must take precedence over our selfish concerns. The focus is on our focus. Where are your eyes pointed towards? And there's a spiritual focus and practical actions tied into all of this. And so I want to talk about both, but I do want to actually talk about the practical because I know the practical is what causes many of us to stay awake at night when uh, we get that bill that says that we owe an extra 500 that we didn't think that we actually had in the bank account. Because costs have gone up, right? We know the reality of of it. Costs have gone up, and our incomes 
for most of us, have stayed the same. Very few of us have seen incomes rise during this period as well. So what do we do in between? You know, just practical advice on this, and much of it we all know, but it's good to just reiterate, you know, reduce expenses where you can. Uh, A year and a half ago, I got frustrated because our phone bill went up again, and so I started looking at other options, and we switched from one of the big boys to one of the guys who, you know, hacks in and uses the big boys' equipment uh, and saved us 90 bucks a month. I was pretty happy with that saving. That that mattered. Uh, You know, millennials, I, I don't know, Uh, Any millennials in the room willing to admit that you judge people that have cable? It's a thing. And if you have kids that are millennials and you have cable, they're judging you for having cable. But here's the thing. I added up how much money we usually spend on streaming services for Hulu, Netflix, Disney+. Plus. Uh, Let me keep going here. Paramount, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Peacock, HBO Max. It's $100 a month. Like, surely there's some multiples in there that we could cut out and save a little bit of money, right? Uh, We're willing to sign up for all of the things. Uh, So anyway, pointing fingers at myself and that, so we'll leave that alone. you know, just again, just basics. Uh, don't rely on credit cards. And if you haven't looked at your credit card interest rate since uh, we went into the, the inflation period, you should because those are one of the first things that go up. Uh, so if you're relying on a credit card, it's kind of a dangerous thing because you're going to spend a lot of money on interest rates uh, right now. So if you can, switch and, and pay attention to that and save where you can. Now, I realize for some of us, credit scores and fixed incomes do not allow for these last two things that I mentioned. I've been in spots where that's been, both of those have been true for me. So I understand that reality. So the last thing that I want to throw out there is ask wise people to help you if you're feeling the pressure. We have people in our church who are really good at this. And I'm having conversations with them to say like, how can we support people in our church who are struggling financially right now and don't see a way out? And so if that's you and you're like, it would actually be really helpful for somebody who's confidential and kind and wise to look this over with me and help me to to figure out how to to move forward. Uh, If that's you, talk to me afterwards, please. Shoot me an email. I would love to connect you with somebody who would be happy to sit down and again, confidentially, uh, talk you through maybe some options on ways to be able to create a little bit more wiggle room uh, in, in your life financially. So there's practical advice and there's spiritual action. So what's the spiritual uh, invitation in this? Well, right after this parable, Jesus goes into one of his well-known teachings, most well-known teachings. You've probably heard it. Verse 22. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment of your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? This whole section is so countercultural. 
It pushes against our self-preservation instincts in hardcore ways uh, and forces us to rely on God. It gives us guidance for what hope and trust looks like. And I want to point out in verse 22 what it says here. Don't worry about everyday life. Third time in these verses that he uses the same exact word. Life. Don't worry about your life. Life is what the foolish man thought that he controlled. Life is what God said that he did not have control over. And life is what Jesus says that we need to stop worrying about and instead focus our eyes on him. Life. Don't hold on to it too tightly. Don't obsess over it. Instead, give control over it to Jesus. Trust in the generosity of God. Why? Because trust grows when control is released. God takes care of all living things, from flowers to grass to birds. One of the amazing things about our world is the little mini ecosystems that God created for all the things. Flowers have their own little ecosystem, sunlight, nutrients, all. And, and when something's off in that ecosystem, you notice it, right? Because they start to wither. There, there's issues that start to show up. Things need to be corrected. But God creates ecosystems to provide for everything in our world. Why wouldn't he do the same thing for you? I would say he has. He's created us with our ecosystems that we need to give us the nutrients, the things that we need to be able to make it, to live flourishing, good, healthy lives. That ecosystem does require other people, by the way. But that's part of what he built into it. Pay attention to your ecosystem and allow it to pour into you when you find yourself at a place of need because he wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. And more than likely, he's created something that will allow you to be taken care of in a way that brings life to you. So stop worrying because it probably just makes our life shorter anyway. And instead, verse 31, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. That's like one of the only times that Jesus makes one of those sorts of statements. You know what I like? It just sticks out. Little flock. Uh, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't tell us how to get rich, but he does tell us that we need to do two things. He says we need to seek the kingdom above all else. And he says that we need to give and live generously. If you want to know the first steps on what it takes to give up control of your life, there it is. Seek the kingdom above all else and live generously generously. That's where it begins. Now, seeking the kingdom means following the leadership of Jesus. So let me ask you, when you're in a place where you're like desperately asking God to move, you're looking for a new job, do you look at Indeed or whatever job board and you, you pray and you're like, Jesus, help me. Show me which one to take. Or 
Do you take the things that are out there in front of you and you go to a quiet place and you get on your knees and you pray and you say, God, I'm not going anywhere until you actually speak to me and show me what it looks like to actually follow your will. When you get an e-bill that is $500 more than what you have in your account at that moment, when you get a bill that makes you shake a little bit and gets you nervous, what do you do with it? Do you look at it and you're like, God, please help. Or do you take it and you go to a quiet place and you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm not going to go anywhere until you actually show me how it is that you're going to lead me out of this spot, how it is that you're going to provide for me. What, that's what seeking the kingdom looks like. And a perfect, a beautiful example of this is uh, Jacob in Genesis. Now, Jacob is many things, and a liar and a thief are two of the main ones that we're told that he is. Uh, and so he ran away from home because he was a liar and a thief great guy right um so he wants to return home though and he's worried about his brother killing him which when since he stole everything from him like may be a realistic expectation that's some serious in family fighting right there like dysfunction but he wants to go home so he, he bribes his brother he sends him a ton of stuff and says hopefully this will cover everything bad that i did to you uh did, you know probably didn't do all that much And so then he gets closer and he hasn't heard from his brother yet. And so he separates his family and his stuff and him. And he goes on one side of the river and they're on the other side. And he's basically by himself for the night. And so we're told that a visitor comes. In this instance, visitor means God in whatever way, shape, or form that that is. It's in the Bible. That's what I'm going on. Like, I don't know how this all completely works out. But a visitor comes and meets him and they wrestle all night long because that's what you would do with god right so they wrestle all night long and it gets towards dawn and the visitor says let me go i need to leave and jacob says no i'm not letting you go until you bless me and the visitor knocks his hip and so he walks with a limp the rest of his life but he still hangs on refusing to let go And finally, the visitor says, let me go. And he says, not until you bless me. And he says, okay, fine. I'll bless you. What a beautiful example of what it looks like to seek the kingdom. When you come to a place in your life that you're overwhelmed by, that you're anxious about, that you're so angry about you can't think straight, that you cannot release control of, that you're not sure what the next step is, grab a hold of Jesus and say, I'm not letting go until you speak. I'm not letting go until you come and bless me and move in my life. I refuse to walk away until I hear your voice. That's what it looks like to seek the kingdom. Are we seeking the kingdom with everything like Jesus tells us to? And then he says to give generously. He's not saying to sell everything. He's saying to be generous in accordance with what we have. And he tells us this this great example in Luke 21. Listen to this. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them, for they have given 
a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. Poor widows were not the obvious choice for praise. But Jesus always chooses people who are not the obvious choice for praise, and he praises them. One of the beautiful things about Jesus. And here's why he praised her. He says, because she has given everything that she has. Has given, which literally means to let go without caring where it falls. It's just a beautiful linguistic example of what it means to give up control. Everything she has, which literally means her life. Letting go without caring where it falls, her life. Why? Because it was so small that it didn't matter? No. Because the rabbi told her to? No. Jesus says that it's basically because she trusted that God was generous and good and would provide all that she needed. And so she gave generously because she was seeking the kingdom. She trusted her father. And trust grows when control is released. The parable of the fool ends with Jesus saying, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The message translates it this way. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. We think of fools as the ones who spend unwisely, who make bad investments, who rack up too much credit card debt or whatever it is. What Jesus says, a fool is actually the person who spends their whole life trying to accumulate more and neglects their relationship with Jesus. That's what makes a fool. So my question is, what are we filling our barns with? How are we living our lives? Two things will answer that question. Our hearts and our wallets. How are we using those? Our hearts show the anxiety that we have. And our wallets show whether or not we're generous. Both reveal if I'm trusting God. Trust grows when control is released. So here's my question for us today. Are you willing to trust Jesus with your life? To give up total control of your life to him? Kind of not caring where it falls, so to speak. Like that poor widow in the temple that day that Jesus praised. The fool didn't, but the poor widow did. What's your response to Jesus' question to us this morning? You know, uh, a couple nights ago, we had people over and we were talking and, and somebody asked me like, why is it that you never had your early 20s go get drunk all the time face? Like, what, what was different about how, how you lived in that point? And I was thinking about it this weekend. And here's what I think it is. It's not because I have like this false sense of piety when I was 20 years old and I felt like I had to. It was because when I was 16, I gave over control to Jesus. 
And when I was 25, I could tell you another conversation where I gave over control to Jesus. And when I was 28, and Sarah and I were getting married, and we were looking at what's next, and we decided to move to somewhere that I had never thought about living, I gave over control to Jesus again. And when we adopted kids, I had to give over control of my life to Jesus again. And when we stepped into the role as lead pastors here, I had to give over control of my life to Jesus again. That's what it looks like. It's a trail of breadcrumbs, so to speak, of saying, okay, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. And so as we close our eyes, I want to give us an opportunity right now. There might be some of us that have never given control, or there may be some of us here this morning who say, I actually need to give over control today. Because you know you're at a spot of rebuilding and it's time to let Jesus be Lord in a way that he hasn't been in a while. So as we close our eyes, I want to lead you in praying, but first I just want you to acknowledge that you're giving control to Jesus this morning. So if that's you, just raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with me. Say, Jesus, this morning I give control to you. I take my eyes off of what I can do, what I'm in control of, and I acknowledge that you're the one who's actually in control. I need hope. So I ask for your hope. Thank you for being kind and generous and loving in all the seasons and in all the realities. Come and take your place as Lord of my life today. In Jesus' name.